Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Because it means that people who've been cut off from traditional banking, you know, they are getting access to credit that they've never had before. Albeit it's still within the world of cryptocurrency. That was the original aim of crypto, to help bank the unbanked, you know, to level the playing field in the world of finance. Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers. I'm your host, Brendan LaGrange. I've been working in consumer lending for the last 20 years, currently within a startup that's gamifying access to credit among the unbanked. Check us out in episode 24. But first with a major credit card issuer in South Africa. My international adventure, though, started in the middle of 2009 when I moved to Denmark. It was a time in history that I've always considered as just before the Soccer World Cup came home. But if you're into cryptocurrency, it's also the year that Bitcoin went live, priced in the cents at the time. Two years later, I moved to Asia and Bitcoin passed the $1 mark for the first time. Though it didn't just pass the $1 mark, it made it all the way up to $30, before falling all the way back to below $5. And that, in a way, is a microcosm of the Bitcoin experience, at least to my rather uneducated eye. Growing demand, rising prices, but also volatility. That said, it's 10 years later now. Things are more mature and a whole wallet full of other cryptocurrencies exist. Big institutions have got involved. And there's a question that keeps getting asked. Are we ready to lend real-world money with crypto assets as security? Well, Philip Blows, co-founder and CEO at Accrue, welcome to the show. Today's episode is going to be a bit different for me, a bit of an education as you introduce me to the world of crypto assets. But that's a sort of mindset shift that I assume you must have made yourself because if I look at your early career, you also come from a, a traditional finance background. Before we get into the meat of the discussion for today, can you expand a bit on your background and what in that inspired you to found Accrue? Yeah, sure. So my background is, as you say, very traditional finance. So asset management, trading, I spent 10 years doing that in the UK and then a further six doing it in Switzerland. And yeah, I, I sort of touched a lot of different areas of finance in that. Started off with retail investors, which was fascinating because you really do get to sort of understand a little bit more about what drives them and why they're investing. And then moved a lot more into the institutional space, which is where I think I saw a lot more sort of complexity. So when I was out in Switzerland, I built a client base of investment banks and helped them manage liquidity and things like that across the world and some fairly complex derivative products. I think underlying everything that I've done has always been this drive to take really complex topics and simplify them. 
And I would say I was probably not a particularly early adopter of crypto because I was so heavily involved in normal finance, but just started to see these things that looked a little bit more like, I guess, traditional finance appearing in crypto around about sort of 2015 time. So you sort of see decentralized finance, which really started taking off kind of 2017, 2018 onwards. But in its very earliest days, it all of a sudden you sort of had these things that it wasn't just outright speculation. It was, oh, there are actually more stable assets within crypto where you can generate more consistent returns without the wild volatility. That was one of the things that kind of attracted me to crypto. But then you only need to scratch the surface and everything becomes completely incomprehensible. So it's sort of like, the reason a crew appeared was most people have no idea that you can earn interest on the crypto that you hold. And even if they wanted to generate it, they'd probably find it too complicated. So a crew in a nutshell is the place where people can really simply buy and sell crypto, but crucially, they can then earn a market leading interest rate on it. So you know, up to 15% a year paid instantly, they can withdraw their money daily. And in terms of making it more consumable and easier for everyday people, you can transfer an existing crypto portfolio into your account and start earning interest on that. Or you just normal money, you know, via a bank transfer, you just put the money in that way and then convert it into crypto and start earning. So that was always the drive. It's like, how do we take something that's really complicated and make it consumable to the individual, make it safe and secure? Because a lot of crypto still remains quite difficult in that area. Yeah, and we're going to deep dive in a crew for most of the discussion, but it wasn't your only lockdown project by the looks of it. So 2020, you also published the Money Triangle. Yeah, I had a quick look on Amazon, better reviews than my books are getting. So looks like it's had a good reception. Do you want to talk a little bit about the vision, the, the idea behind the Money Triangle and what that is before we go back and talk crypto for the rest of the show? Yeah, absolutely. So I spent four years at a fintech and the idea it was getting this theme of sort of simplifying things. But in the UK, there's a real issue with people not being able to afford or access financial advice. We, we effectively digitize some of the more complex financial advisory processes, getting advice on your pension, getting advice on you know, where to invest your ISA, that sort of thing. But I, I was really fortunate in that four years to run around the UK talking to, in total, about 10,000 people. Yeah, out of that came just some fascinating data. The majority of people spent way more than they earned every month. They were slipping more and more into debt. They didn't care about their pension, that sort of thing. Yeah, I was just trying to do it to help people. And I've done a lot of blog articles and things like that, but it, it took a lot longer than it should have done because I kind of didn't get my act together pretty quick. If you've written books, you probably know you go through these periods of procrastination where you just lose a bit of momentum. So probably over a couple of years, but yeah, it was a fascinating process. I read a book called The Beautiful Constraint. It's all around. If you have very little to work with, creativity and innovation comes out. That was what actually gave me the impetus to get the book finished. I simply said, well, you know, I haven't really got the time to do the final editing and things like that. So literally just put a post on LinkedIn. Someone helped me finish my book. And I had a you know, very, very accomplished finance advisors pop up and say, yeah, I'll read it. I needed tons of work just to, just to help me get it over the line. And I don't think I would have done that if I hadn't read that book. So it was, it was a, good, a good little kick. Really just trying to break it down to how people should, just at a very basic level, be managing their finances. So just some better behaviors around how you spend your money, which is sort of one side of the triangle. Better things around how you invest it. And then I think where a lot of people miss out is sort of also about how you earn it. So is there, is there room for a side hustle after looking at 
you know, your career currently. And I think this is something that people often do get wrong. They start a side hustle way before they're selling at their day job. That was kind of the, the idea and trying to make it nice and easy and understandable with lots of funny stories and case studies on, on people who are extremes in each case. So yeah, it was kind of a blog article that went wrong, I guess, was, was the reason for the book. <laughs> yeah, what I've found with this podcast is reaching out to folk and some of the ones have been, you won't remember me, but I was on the same bus as you at a conference five years ago in Shanghai. And they're like, yeah, I'll talk to you. And if you put it out there and you get it going and you reach out, a lot of the time people will say yes. And sure, some people will say no or just not reply. But if you actually get going with a project, people will join. But uh, yeah, let's get back to a crew. So you started to describe it in your introduction, but there's a lot of coin exchanges and such. But you've taken it beyond that. It's not just another place to trade Bitcoin. You're treating it like an asset where it can earn an interest. It's like you would put money in a current account or in a money market account. So this is no longer just a speculative bit of code that sits somewhere and you hope you can sell it in the future. You are actually treating it like an asset that people could in, invest and put aside. So can we deep dive into accrue and what that process looks like? How do you work with consumers? Yeah, that, it's, a, it's a really good question because if we rewind to kind of 2008, you say it was kind of tech hobbyists when Bitcoin came out in order to buy any Bitcoin, you needed to be incredibly technically savvy and in the right kind of chat group. Fast forward 13 years, I think yesterday or day before, as, we, as we're talking, was, was kind of the birthday of Bitcoin. We've now got a completely different environment. There's institutional infrastructure in place for the custody of assets, because that was one of the things in the early Bitcoin. And I think 5 million Bitcoin, or, or about a quarter of their total supply, has been lost. It's out of out of circulation. So that was one of the big constraints was how, you know, how do we make this a product that is safe to actually own? And now we've got that institutional custody solutions in place. And, you know, an example of the one we use is Fireblocks. They've got over a trillion in transfers and they're huge. They've got 70 odd banks as customers. So once you've got that done and dusted, this is now an asset that's more secure to hold and own. And guess what? It's also the best performing asset of the last 10 years. And it's not something now that's a tiny little niche market. There's over $3 trillion worth of crypto out there. Then we've got the best performing asset class and it's safe to hold now. This should be a part of your portfolio. It's still high risk. It's very volatile, but it's 5 10% of a diversified portfolio should be holding crypto assets because it's the only place you're seeing huge innovation and huge growth in, in the world of finance at the moment. How a crew then is trying to change that, why we're not just a normal exchange is, you know, our, our business model is completely different. So most companies and most exchanges that you see, they'll list hundreds and hundreds of coins, which, you know, they're all volatile, they're all flying all over the place. No one has any idea which are good ones to own. For every coin that goes up a a million percent, you've got another one that's that's worthless after two months. And the way that these exchanges make money is you buying and selling and jumping in and out of assets. And we've seen that before. There's a lot of regulatory statements that a lot of sort of traditional trading platforms have to put on. And it's usually something like 83, 85% of our customers lose money. 
it's because the fear and greed when it comes to trading, investing in the short term, it is trying to beat the market. It's, in, it's incredibly difficult. Crypto is no different. So in terms of our platform, we're only listing coins that we think are going to be around in 10, 20 years time. And at the moment, there is, there's only three assets there. Bitcoin, Ethereum, what's called US dollar stable coins, which for 99% of crypto investors, that's enough. Bitcoin, most people have heard about. Ethereum is a, is a fascinating coin. All of the innovation, all of this decentralized financial products that you're seeing that are, that are appearing in the market, they're all being built on Ethereum, pretty much. All of the volume, all of the kind of innovation, all of the development that's going into building this crypto investing ecosystem is within the Ethereum blockchain, which is why a lot of analysts in the space are calling this year to be its breakout year where it's going to start really you know, outperforming Bitcoin. Who knows? Every time someone seems to say that, Bitcoin seems to, to go up incredibly. But um, there's some solid use cases. And you can see in terms of the fees that miners are earning, they are 10 times the fees on the Ethereum blockchain this year than they did on the Bitcoin blockchain. You know, Ethereum is, is the internet of money. This is all part of, has it got valued over and above just it being a speculative asset? A lot of the headlines have been very breathless headlines. You know, the news will tell you when Bitcoin hits 50,000 or when it hits 5,000, and they will talk about a coin that somebody's pumping up that's gone up from yeah, 2 cents to 20 cents or something. And I think that's where, in some ways, that the coin terminology is bringing in some confusion where Bitcoin was essentially an exchange of value and like a currency. But you talk about, yeah, like Ethereum, that that blockchain is far more practical and it almost feels like it shares in that network. If all the NFTs are being built on that technology, it's not so much a coin that moves just the same way that a a dollar might move hands. And it's not just a speculation like in, in tulips. It is more, I don't know, I suppose gold has some good similarities where it's also used for industrial uses, but it's kind of a blend between understanding or betting on a a technology as well as just you know this coin. And I guess that's where you're coming from the finance background, and you can say here's the big stable part, the part that yeah, it's not going to go up a thousand percent this year, but it's also not going to drop a thousand percent in the next year. And we're going to operate there, and then the speculation side, which is the same as you know investments, it's splitting out junk bonds from from government bonds so you can see it what it is rather than just everything as crypto yeah a crew doesn't want to be the platform which has these crazy fluctuations don't get me wrong bitcoin is still volatile you know i think we're seeing as we're talking today it's had a bad day today it's down about eight percent but it's not doing the you know plus or minus 50 percent that you're seeing in some of these smaller cap coins I mentioned stable coins before. This is really what I think drove the interest the most in founding a crew and the investment strategies that we look at for, for customers is that you know, stable coins are effectively cryptocurrency coins that value is pegged to a real world asset. The most popular is obviously the US dollar stable coins. So the way it works is someone puts a real world dollar into a, a bank account and then the, the administrator of the cryptocurrency is notified that there is a real world dollar sitting in a bank account. So what it then does is it mints a crypto dollar. So it's backed one to one. And what that means is you've got this asset, which is no longer have this really crazy underlying volatility because it's pegged to the dollar. And if you want to do the reverse, you would say to the 
the ad, the administrator of the coin, look, I want to, I want my dollar back. You know, they destroy that crypto dollar and return the the, the real world dollar to you. That process is only really done by institutions in, in big size, but um, we we're all able to benefit from those stable coins because they flow around the whole crypto market. But because they are stable, they've been a big driver of lending and borrowing within crypto. So you can actually earn very, very high levels of yield on those stable coins. So for example, on the accrued platform, we'll pay you 12% on, you know, on, on effectively what is a, a dollar deposit, albeit higher risk because it sits within the crypto ecosystem. Now, coming from the traditional financial background, why that's suddenly become interesting is you've now got really volatile underlying asset, but we're paying you a yield on it with accrued. What to me, if I looked at traditional finance, that looks like it's kind of like a dividend paying stock. And then that kind of stable coin I mentioned there is you know, a very fixed underlying asset, but you're earning 12% yield on it. And that looks a bit more like a high yielding bond. So when you're really you know, bullish on where the crypto market is going, you increase your equity exposure effectively, or what is your Bitcoin and Ethereum exposure. If you think the market's coming off, then you make sure you have a higher exposure to these, these stable coins. And it kind of allows you to build what looks like a traditional balanced bond equity portfolio. And um, you're probably going to see products that mirror that, that are easier to use, That you know, ETFs, things like that. Yeah, well, you mentioned there, there is something like an index fund fits exactly in that same mold as a stable coin where it's not pegged to the dollar, but it could be pegged to an index in the, say, the US markets. And I think that's where, where I've heard it come up in discussions on this show where I've spoken to lenders, particularly in emerging markets, their consumers might be unable to really participate in the equity markets in their home countries, or perhaps just the local market doesn't have the sort of shares they after. Their currencies are already pretty volatile. There's a lot more incentive to have a US dollar type asset like a Bitcoin or a stable coin. And you can buy into these coins with very small amounts. Obviously, we see like Bitcoin's $50,000, but you can buy at such small fractions that compared to entering the stock market, it's a routine you can do with any money you have. So there's quite an appeal to these assets. And the lenders are looking at this and saying, well, I've got consumers that you know, traditionally, maybe they would have had some gold jewelry they would have put up for security. Now they've got these Bitcoins, maybe stable coins. Can I lend against that as a security, as an asset class? And for a long time, it was you know, not a chance. It's far too volatile. And yeah, it's still volatile, but it's coming down. And then if you can blend it and say, well, my crypto portfolio is 50% stable coin and 50% you know, more volatile coins, it brings that down to a level where a lender could say, well, I'm going to use it as security the same way we would do with a you know, share back loan or a gold back loan. And yeah, there's regulatory risk. You're unlikely to see it start with a big bank doing it wide scale. But yeah, the other side of seeing it as an asset, as a deposit is lending against it. And I apologize, the audio isn't great in this clip, but it's certainly what Praveen Sina of PenCap in India alluded to when he brought up the topic. I also see a lot of uh, possibilities how this blockchain technology in terms of lending. So if you see, the challenge was in terms of volatility and stability of that currency, but it seems that it is there to stay. So if it is there to stay, lending can also happen in that currency. A company with a cryptocurrency can provide loan anywhere in the world. How far are we away from a world where it's well understood, that's stable enough, it's got a long enough history, 
that you would expect mainstream lenders would say, okay, I can use a portfolio held at someone like Accrue as security and I'll lend you 50% of the value of that portfolio, whatever the case may be. There's, there's kind of two, two markets to look at. The lending and borrowing market within the crypto ecosystem is alive and well and is billions of dollars going through that a day. I think one of the plus points of crypto is there is no backstop. No one's going to bail out any of these protocols if someone doesn't repay a loan. So it's almost driving very good behavior. In in kind of the, the world of decentralized finance, which is without intermediaries like banks, there isn't really much in terms of leverage. So if you want to borrow against your $100 portfolio, you're never going to be able to borrow more than $100, usually capped at around about 75 so fully collateralized lending. There is a bit of uncollateralized lending out there, but it by no means is anything like what's out there in sort of traditional finance. And I think the the market volatility is kind of keeping keeping people pretty honest. We saw in May this year, sort of peak to trough in, in kind of the big crypto assets like Bitcoin around about 50%. There was a lot of people liquidated, but none of the major protocols suffered. It was a very orderly liquidation. It was really good to see because it was a proper test of of how developed the crypto market was. So, I mean, in terms of the actual crypto ecosystem itself, you know, this is something that's tried, tested, and is, is there and it's happening. The second question around mainstream lenders, when will they start looking at this? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That's a tougher question because what we need to see is much more robust and sort of far-reaching regulation in the space. A lot of the big regulators around the world, sort of tier ones, you call them, they've got more sort of registration regimes in, in crypto as opposed to full on regulatory regimes. They want to make sure you've got your, your AML and your, your sort of KYC processes in place that, you know, fit and proper people are there. But they're not really taking a, a, a hugely active role in regulating the crypto market. I think until that happens, the big banks will never get involved. However, that being said, I think we're probably going to see that over the next 18 months, the regulatory environment sort of improve and become more clear. We want to see crypto regulated because it's the only way it becomes a credible asset class. The only way consumers have the same confidence in it as they would any other financial asset because they know there's there's regulators sit behind it. Yeah, you'd want a world where, and it might be opt-in sort of regulation, the opportunity to become regulated and covered like a stock exchange. We've grown big enough and, and stable enough that we pass those 1,000% returns. Yeah, it will slow growth a tiny bit, but it stops all the problems. 
You're listening to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. If you're enjoying it, now is a great time to hit that little plus button to subscribe. You talk about borrowing and lending in the crypto space. One of the words that I would off the top of my head associate with the rise of cryptocurrency would be anonymity. How does identity work in the space? How do you know who you're lending to? Because obviously, five, 10 years ago, when crypto was becoming public, and people were moving from that hobbyist who really knew what they were doing to the public getting involved. There was a little bit of, you know, exchanges either intentionally or unintentionally disappearing. There was a bit of a worry, you know, how do you keep the anonymity, the free flow of crypto, but how do you also manage who's who? Do you know what approaches are being done there? Because I think that's probably where we're going to actually solve a lot of the identity problems we have in the rest of the world. Digital identity is a major issue. I think, and and one that is it's it's difficult because the problem you've got with having identity stored with large sort of centralized institutions is they invariably get hacked, and I'm not sure there's any major institution really that has a 100% clean record there. So everyone's everyone's looking for this almost like non-custodial sharing of your personal data, and it's within a set format to identify you and make sure you're you know you're not someone who's like a sanctioned individual or something like that. So. Yeah, digital identity is something a lot of companies are working on, but it's yeah at the moment yeah it's every regulator says it's these documents you need to provide. It's in this format, and they're all different. Well, a lot of them are different. You know, the, the core is the same, but every one of them has a nuance. So it makes it quite hard to do, to to have like an all encompassing solution there. But the benefit of anonymity, I've used this word decentralized finance a few times, and it's. What that is, is it's normal finance, but without any intermediaries. The intermediary is effectively computer code. So if you've got Bitcoin right now, you can go to one of these decentralized exchanges, lodge it as collateral and borrow you know, whatever you want against it pretty much within crypto. And that whole process is three or four clicks of a button and takes under a minute. From that perspective, it's great because it means that people who've been cut off from traditional banking albeit it's still within the world of cryptocurrency, you know, they are getting access to credit that they've never had before, which is incredible. And that, that was kind of the original aim of, of crypto. It was to help bank the unbanked, you know, to level the playing field in the world of finance. And so that, that side of things is great because there's people who are engaged in crypto who just simply would never be able to pass a Western KYC process. You know, maybe their country doesn't even have digital identities. They don't have a, a fixed address or sort of proof of address from a utility bill that's going to satisfy, you know, a Western lender or even a lender in their own country. So, and that's where the anonymity and the you know, being able to do this digitally is is great. Coming back to that, you know, they're always collateralized loans. The risk of not knowing your customer in that kind of environment is less. That's a big part of it. Yeah. And so you've got collateral, so that takes away that risk. Now we don't often use collateral in traditional consumer lending because it's clunky and it's hard to know what things are worth and people's assets all you know all sorts of random things but that's what the crypto solves so you don't have to worry about somebody has to bring in an old vase into the the bank branch and somebody has to see what that's worth or i'm actually going to speak to a pawn dealer soon for the show who who does that but you know for most lenders we we'll say well we'll give up on the collateral and instead we'll go heavy on the credit checks and the identity checks so we know exactly who you are and what we're seeing with this lending is we can do away with, with some of the identity checks and some of the credit checks because we have this asset and we've got enough faith in the asset that we're comfortable against the loan. 
we've got a lot of people who had assets, but they weren't the sort of assets you could easily lend against. Top end of the market, sure, you might have like a stock portfolio on the New York Stock Exchange, and then you can get a loan against that from your private banker. But you know, there's not many people who are getting that. But people are building these digital assets and there's lenders there. And it, because it's so global, I think it also gets over that where you, know, you might live in a country that's much more risk averse. It's a small country where there's not enough people to justify it. It doesn't matter because you're just part of a global, a global trade. And I think that's why yeah, I hear a lot of talk in the lending world from emerging markets. And that's not because emerging market lenders want to do it. It's because emerging market customers are saying, these are my assets. Why won't you lend to me? I've got X number of hundreds or thousands of dollars in this asset. Yeah, I think there's a lot of market incentive to to get that right. This is a place they have to be looking. They have to be getting somebody to understand you know, more in the fintech space perhaps first, but looking at how we're going to lend, how we're going to leverage the wealth our customers have to give them better credit. I think we, we need to be very clear about borrowing against crypto. You know, As I said, it's already widespread in, in crypto, but it's... I would already be concerned that people are over leveraging their crypto, an asset which has the potential to drop 50%, which crypto does in sort of a month's time. We've seen, we saw the 87 crash in normal stocks and shares was kind of similar. So we know even highly developed markets can, can drop that much. So my, my concern is that, you know, as derivatives appear in crypto more and more, it could, if anything, destabilize the market because, um, you know, you've just got that much more leverage in the system. It's something that has to happen, but you know, this is where regulation is useful because you know, ideally you're you know, you're limiting it. We're hoping that as part of a regular, you know, robust regulatory regime, there will be some of these kind of lending limits that will appear on these assets. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess that we're just risking introducing a whole lot of more confusion if we're saying it's all these complex financial programs with you know, derivatives and short selling and margin calls. Yeah, without going into it too deeply, this this is another area where blockchain is really useful. I mean, the whole concept of a blockchain is every single transaction between every wallet is recorded and is available to anyone to see. What that means is that you can you can see where the risk is sitting somewhat. You know, which wallets, it's anonymized at the moment. You know which wallet is, but you don't know which individual it is or which institution. But I think, you know, there's something called the travel rule that's appearing, whereby you're sending between anonymous wallets, you're going to have to identify the person sending and identify the person who's receiving. There's companies like Elliptic and Chain Analysis out there who will begin piecing these together and making it public. So you'll be able to see who's doing what, which um, having worked in OTC derivatives for investment banks, you see there it's very opaque and it's, you know, it's highly leveraged and it's, it's very risky. So being able to have transparency of the whole trading or transactional record within crypto is going to be very interesting. Well, it's going to allow regulators or at least risk managers, hopefully, to have a you know much a much clearer picture of exactly what's going on. Yeah, it underpins that there really is a lot of momentum in this. It's not just excited headlines in the news that Bitcoin's now gone up again or down again. So much is happening in the background. It's so much more developed and mature. This is a whole ecosystem. Now, at crew, I see one of the, the key points you pride yourself on is being a, a human team that's open to talking to consumers to help them get through this fear of the unknown and, and get involved in the crypto space. So if anyone listening is interested in opening an account with a crew, is interested in crypto as an asset class, 
what's the best way for them to learn more? Where should they go to to look or to start a conversation? I mean, one thing we've invested heavily into sort of ahead of some of our customer growth to make sure we, we don't have a bottleneck there is, is our customer service team. We've got a really, really talented customer service team that are there to answer and educate, uh, answer questions, educate um, customers and, and make, make the whole experience hopefully something over and above what you expect elsewhere because customer service has been historically very poor in, in crypto with people waiting months to get responses because the growth's been so crazy that the exchanges haven't been able to scale their teams. So in terms of what, what people just need to do, accrue, aqru.io, go there or go on the App Store or uh, Android, download the app. We've got Intercom that's baked into the product. The team are there 24-7 to answer any questions. So just you know, put them in the chat. They'll be they'll be prompting you and saying, look, we're here if you need us. And then, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always trying to speak to people as well. I think staying close to the customer is is incredibly important. And we've never stopped doing that as a business. We want to speak to as many customers as we can. Just, yeah, download the app. Just get in touch. You know, we, we make it as easy as possible. We're not hiding behind anything. And you can find me on LinkedIn. Ask me any questions there as well. More than happy to help myself if I can. Great. Well, thank you very much, Philip. It's been great having you on the show. As I said, it's opened my eyes to the amount of change, amount of growth that's happening in the background. So really interesting for me and really, um, I think, interesting for the audience as well, who I feel like many of them will be in a position I am where we maybe we, we knew less than we thought we did. So certainly a, a field I'm going to have a, a new look at. Um, yeah, been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks so much. Really appreciate it, Brendan. And thank you all for listening. If you haven't done so already, like, share, and subscribe to the show. How to Lend Money to Strangers is written, hosted, and edited by myself, Brendan LaGrange. The theme tune and show music is by I Am Wake. And you can find show notes, written transcripts, more in-depth articles, and details on how to book me for speaking engagements at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show. I'll see you again next Thursday. me again just in case you've had your full of lending talk did you know that i've also published two pulpy action adventure thrillers draken and butterfly hill are both available as ebooks paperbacks and audiobooks from amazon and other online retailers they're not shakespeare but they're not expensive either and ford clarion reviews compare draken to clive Cussler turning raiders of the last ark into a shoot 'em up full disclosure that was in a three-star review so i'm not sure it was meant to be a compliment but I think you get the picture. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 